All right, yeah, once you've met someone, you can go ahead and take a seat. Uh, let me just say welcome. Welcome to the exchange. I am so glad you guys are here with us this morning. Uh, that was a beautiful time of worship. Uh, do me a favor. If you have a Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We would love to get you a Bible so you can follow along with us. But we are in the book of Philippians. Philippians 4. Turn there. Raise your hand. We'll get you one. So we are in Philippians 4. We have a couple more weeks in Philippians 4. We're just flying through this book. But I uh, want to make you guys aware of a couple of things. In a couple of weeks, we are starting the book of Nehemiah. Uh, we're just calling that series, that book, A Holy Ambition, When a Good Desire Meets a Greater God. I'm very excited for this book. Um, for us as a church, we kind of view 2019 as the year to build and not necessarily build like necessarily growth, but it could even be just internally, build our families, build our communities, build our faith, uh, build just the healthiness of, of our lives, of our church. And so Nehemiah is a guy who has a great conviction and a heart to rebuild some ruins. And I'm just praying that God can just do that within our lives, within our church. So Nehemiah in a couple of weeks, all right? Now I do also have an update for you guys. So before we get into Philippians 4, before we look at this more in depth, uh, a quick update. Uh, you've probably heard about this the last few weeks, but um, I mentioned this three weeks ago for the first time. The school approached us and said, hey, um, we're starting to do this within kind of a short time frame, but your last Sunday at Quiet Waters will be June 2nd due to re just remodeling the school. They're doing the roofs and the AC. So they said, hopefully you will be back August 11th. So from June 9th through August 4th, we've been looking for a location for the last few weeks. Um, we've had a prayer meeting for this. We've uh, sought a lot of wisdom and counsel. Thank you guys just for um, some people just giving me some ideas. We've called a lot of places. So here's the update. We've called a lot of places in Deerfield. We've called a lot of schools. We've called movie theaters. Um, we've called community centers. We've called golf courses and banquet halls, everything you can think of. I've, I, I think I've gotten every excuse under the sun about why they cannot host a church on a Sunday. It's been really fun to get those excuses. But um, we've called a lot of places in Deerfield and Coconut Creek just looking for a place. So here's kind of where the Lord has, I think, really the only door and a great door the Lord has opened for us. Uh, but it's three miles north at Hammock Point Elementary. So as we were looking for places, we were looking for places within like three to five miles. We were looking primarily in Deerfield and Creek. But we called this school. It's a school in Palm Beach County, so it kind of even changed some things. But we called a school there, and, and um, they were really excited. Uh, basically, when we went there to visit the school, we had the assistant principal, the office manager, the head custodian. They all met us. They all greeted us. They're all so excited. Like, we're so excited. You want to come here? We're a Title I school. They're being very honest. Like, we could use the extra income <laughs> from renting the school. Uh, but they're very friendly, very outgoing, um, very accommodating. That was the only case where we had someone pursue us and be friendly and outgoing and accommodating. Um, and, you know, as we've been praying just for this process, one of our prayers was, God, um, we asked that they would like, pursue us that they'd want us, and this is the only place that really has done that, pursued us and wanted us. So um, I'm sharing this with you guys because I think we have a picture of the map. It's almost like directly in front of us. You either got to go around like a little half square. Um, so it's not too far. It's like a seven-minute drive. If you drive like me, you can make it in four minutes, but don't drive like me. I'm saying, um, but it's not too far. It's about three miles away. Um, just want you guys to be aware because I know that some people can even hear it and go, oh, but it's in a different city. It's in Boca. Um, it's three miles away. And we know it's for the summer. So my wife and I were joking. We were talking to our team like, okay, cool. The exchange is summer vacationing in Boca. That's how we're going to present this. A little summer vacation in Boca for nine weeks. And uh, we should be back here August 11th. Cool? 
just want to make you guys aware. So next week we'll pass out some cards with the address. We'll, we'll make sure we try to do, you know, change our address online for those nine weeks. There's some things we got to do. Um, there's some extra costs involved. So we're just trying to get things ready. But we should, we should be there. It's looking good, and they've been very friendly throughout the process. So uh, uh, June 9th will technically be our first Sunday at Hammock Point. Our last Sunday there will be August 4th. We'll be back here August 11th. Cool? Sweet? Sound good? Hey, God has provided a place, and guess what? It wasn't outside like maybe we thought it was going to be. Um, so praise the Lord for that, right? This beats the outside. I mean, at least we have AC hopefully there. All right. Uh, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4. In light of the announcement, it's kind of funny, just the, the irony of our topics. So let me just kind of catch you up to speed really quick. Paul, writing this book, he's from prison. He's in prison. He's writing a, jo- a book primarily about joy. He's saying, what happens to you does not have to control you. He's basically saying the, a- the absence of trouble does not equal joy. It's the presence of something greater. And so Paul is basically saying you can have joy despite your circumstances. Now I want to like catch you up to like the flow of Philippians 4. So verse 1 he says this, stand firm in the Lord. And then I want, we're going to show like the topics of what he's gone through. Stand firm in the Lord. And then he brings up some issues in the church. There's some dif- disagreements between two women leaders. So he talks about these disagreements. We'll throw up the the verses of disagreements in the gospel. That's what we did two weeks ago. Then last week, we talked about how these disagreements led to anxiety. Last week, we talked about anxiety in the gospel, um, where Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but all things in prayer. So we looked at the goal, be anxious for nothing. We looked at the how, prayer. We looked at the outcome, the peace of God, where will surpass all understanding and guard your hearts and minds. Now, here's what's interesting. He says, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds, and now he's going to talk about the mind. And now he's going to talk about our thought life. Now he's going to say you're anxious. It might be due to how your thought life is going. So today we're going to look at the thought life and the gospel. Our thoughts are powerful. Our thoughts matter. He, next week we'll look at these thoughts will lead to ultimately he's talking about now contentment, being content, going from anxiousness to contentment. And then he says, now you're content, now live generously. You have been. He tells him, good job. Here's kind of the point of why I'm, I'm sharing this. I want you to follow Paul's like, line of thought with the church. And I think God is so great in his timing to say, let's deal with some maybe issues. Let's deal with some anxiety. Let's deal with your thought life, my thought life. Let's deal with contentment. I mean, isn't not just a timely word as we're praying through changing locations temporarily? I feel like God's like, I, I know you need this. I know you need to be in this. So here's the thought of today. It's Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Paul talks about the mind a lot. He says this in Philippians 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He says, have the mind of Christ. And then Paul goes on to talk about humility. So he says, have the mind of Christ, and look how humble Christ was. And now he's talking about this same mind. So a theme of Philippians we do see brought up a couple different times is the mind, what we think about, what we meditate on, what we're just, what we're just wrestling with internally in our hearts and our minds. So when the Bible talks about the heart, a lot of times it's actually even talking about the mind. And so I want to kind of look at like an overview of our thought life in scriptures. What does the Bible say about this? A.W. Tozer has a great quote on this. He says, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Please hear that again. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. How do you view God? Is he good? Is he gracious? Is he patient? Is he long-suffering? Is he only wrathful and vindictive? Like, how do you look at him? Some people view God as just maybe this mean, angry guy in the Old Testament who's killing people. Some people view God in that light. How do we view God from what the scripture says? When God revealed himself to Moses, he goes, I'm compassionate, merciful, long-suffering, gracious, forgiving the sins of others. Like, he describes himself in this. So how do we view God? So here's what Paul is going to do in Philippians 4. He says, you've been anxious about a lot. Now I want you to meditate on some new things. And guys, I need this. 
I think maybe, I have to hope that almost everyone here needs this. I think that all of our minds maybe are just prone to being anxious and thinking about things that are not beneficial or helpful. So here's my prayer. My prayer today is that God will renew in our mind as a church. My prayer is that maybe some of the negativity, the pessimism, the mindsets we have, that God would now th- help us think about things that are pure and lovely and noble and of good report and praiseworthy and everything Paul's going to talk about. That this has been something where I've felt this week when thoughts go into my mind, they're not praiseworthy, they're not lovely. I've literally had to say this verse over, God, help me think about lovely, how you're lovely. Help me think about things that are praiseworthy. And I'll try to go through those lists. So I'm hoping this is not just a a verse we've maybe read on a card and put on our mirror, uh, but I'm hoping that this is something we can live out as a church. Amen? So let's read Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. You'll see what I'm talking about, and then we'll pray and look at this more in depth. Philippians 4, verse 8. Paul again says these words, finally. He has a little bit more to say, but finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue or excellence, and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do and the God of peace will be with you. Let's read this one more time. It's, worth, it's just worth that. In case you're like looking up and not reading, read with me. Verse eight, he says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned, received, heard, and saw in me, these do and the God of peace will be with you. I'm praying that God can do this for us individually as a church and corporately. Because my mind is not prone to meditate on these things. And I think we could all agree that's probably not our mindset. And so I'm praying that God can do new work in our lives. Can we pray and ask him to do that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this time we get, not just to study it, but God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would apply it to our hearts. God, I just pray for the minds in this room that are anxious, that just think of negative things, things that are not pure, things that are not lovely, things that are not of good reports. God, that the things we just think about and how they develop and grow and grow, Jesus, I just ask that, God, we would submit our minds to you, our thought life to you, that you are the God even of our thought life. So, Jesus, I just pray that you would, um, as the enemy wants to just throw in distractions and different thoughts, we ask that your word would lead us and guide us. In your precious name, Jesus. Amen. I want you to think about some things you thought about as a kid or things you believed about as a kid that were absolutely ridiculous and, and outrageous. So, for a second, just try to think about what were some things you thought about that you look back and you go, I can't believe I thought that. I cannot believe I believe that. There's some small things. I don't know why here. I'll just reveal some weird things and you're kind of like, oh, just saw your heart's pretty weird. I know. Uh, when I was really young, I always thought four quarters equaled 99 cents. My mom would show me the math. We would do it. And I go, I know it's 125 times four. Like I know it, but when you put them together, it just equals 99. I don't know what it was, but I just convinced them. I think what happens, I went to the store and bought something and they didn't give back my penny. I'm like, oh, a dollar equals 99 cents. I don't know, but I was fixated on that. It just took me years to realize I'm just an idiot. Um, the other thing I believed, and I just talked about this with someone else who believed this too, and he brought up, I'm like, yes, that's true. Uh, I used to think, 
because there's an episode of Rugrats, that if you uh, ate some watermelon with a black seed, you'd grow a watermelon in your stomach. I don't know if any of you thought that. I really thought that. I'm like, oh no, if I eat a black seed from a watermelon, I'm going to grow a watermelon in my stomach. So as a kid, I would just be so particular. My mom would be a watermelon. I'd be like, I'm not eating the black seed. She's like, you're going to be fine. I'm like, no, I'll die. Like, it was literally that thought changed everything. That thought changed how I ate watermelon. Now I just eat watermelon. Don't think about it. Kind of think about it a little bit. Um, Another thought I had, like a stereotypical kid, maybe you had this thought too just growing up, but I used to think, just like a lot of kids, that there was a monster under my bed. Like I really thought that. Um, I would be the kid that would get on my knees and check under my bed. Did you check under your bed at night? I would check under my bed basically every night. My dad would come in. I remember there's a season where I'm like, Dad, can you check under my bed? And he'd check under my bed. He'd promise there'd be no monster. Once in a while, he'd pop up and pretend to be a monster, and that was like awful. But... I used to think that. I remember there'd be times I would, and maybe this still happens to some of you, you're sleeping at night and your foot's like over your bed and the blanket's not covering your foot. And you're like, I'm just going to pull that back in before a monster drags me down to wherever it's from. Um, I, I sometimes do that still, but I used to literally think there was and check every night. And, and here's why I'm saying that. The facts, the facts said something different, but what I filtered it through and what I believed uh, was, uh, is a different outcome. So I checked, there was no monsters. My dad checked, there's no monsters. Those are the facts. But the filter in which I viewed it from changed my reaction, changed how I lived, changed my anxiety as a child. Here's why I'm bringing this point up. Um, There can be two people and they have the same thing that happens to them. You lose your job. That is a fact. This other person loses their job. That is a fact. For one person, they go, I lost my job. This is the end of the world. I have no idea what to do. Another person can lose their job and go, man, I guess it's just an opportunity for me to find a better job. Same thing happened, same fact you could say happened, but maybe different filter in which they received it. Same thing you could do with car accidents. And it's the end of the world, it's a car, or you just look and say, man, I'm so glad I'm okay. My point is, it's interesting how we can experience similar things, similar facts, but our filter might be different. So here's kind of my question or point or thought um, for, the f- for us first and foremost. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. You and I cannot control what happens to us, but we can control how we, we frame it, how we filter it. So for example, Paul was the master of this. As we studied Philippians, you know, remember in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, Paul says, guys, I'm in prison and I'm chained to a soldier, but the whole palace guard is getting saved. And like he finds that, he goes, this is awesome. And he even says at the end of our chapter, we'll read, he goes, hey, all of Caesar's household greets you. That is a crazy statement. He's like, there are people with Caesar who are getting saved and they say, what's up? Paul being chained in prison 24-7, no privacy, not a, not a prison like today, somehow views that as this is awesome, people are getting saved. That was Paul's filter. I think, and I would respond, and Paul, I go, Paul, if he said, this is awful, I'm Paul the apostle, I need to be planning churches, get me out of here. Like, that would be my response. Get me, do whatever you need to do, write letters, get me out of here. He's like, this is great, people are getting saved in Caesar's household. Notice how that was his circumstance, that was his fact, but the way he filtered it was completely different than probably how I would, or maybe you would. The point is we can't control what happens to us, but we can control how we filter it. We can't control how we frame it. We can't control how we view it. And I'm sharing this with you because our thoughts and our thought life matters. I think you know that. Look at Paul's thought life. Look at how he framed things. Look at how he talked about things. So I want to look at this biblically overall. So let's talk about our thought life biblically. Three thoughts I want to talk about. All right. We're going to try to look at this, first of all, from like a big picture what the Bible says, and then uh, hone in on Philippians 4.8. All right. So what about our thought life? What does the Bible say? Here's the first thought. We're going to talk about controlling your thoughts. Uh, Capture your thoughts. (laughs) This is kind of redundant. Contemplate your thoughts. But control your thoughts, capture your thoughts, contemplate your thoughts. I know that's redundant, but just go with me on that. All right. Control your thoughts. Let's just talk about this. What does the Bible say about this? Control 
your thoughts. Let me just put a simple phrase out there. Christians, this is for all of us. We need to think about what we're thinking about. We need to start thinking about what is coming into our mind. When we have a thought that we go, where'd that come from? We need to think about it. We can't just kind of go with it and roll with the punches. We need to go, wait, how did that thought get there? Why is that thought there? How do I stop from having thoughts get there? Here's what Proverbs 23, 7 says. It says, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Just please hear that. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I think we would all agree. Our thoughts shape us. Our thoughts form us. What we think about so often becomes who we become, how we view God, how we view ourselves. Uh, if you want to write it this, w- this way, uh, your life will always move in the direction of its strongest thoughts. Your life will always move in the direction of its strongest thoughts. What are the strongest thoughts you have? Your life's going to move in that direction. My, my life's going to move in that direction. So here's what I want to do. Think about a thought audit for a second. A thought audit. I want you to audit your thoughts. Tax season's over. I know, like, let's just audit our thoughts and, like, look at our, th- what are some of the thoughts that come into our mind? What does it do to our heart? Does it give us joy? Does it give us anxiety, fear? Think about your thoughts for a second. I know you know this phrase. I've shared this phrase. It's a good phrase. I think it's very true. You'll see this in, like, leadership books or different things. Uh, maybe you've heard this. Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. If you've seen this before, Look at this. I think this progression is very true. It does begin with a thought. I would say people's destinies have been changed by their thoughts. Like people's, I would say my my life has been changed through certain thoughts I've choose to resist and through thoughts I've chosen to believe through the word of God. I cannot stress enough how important our thought life is. I really can't. You know, I was reading this book just on like lead leadership and within the church and just the heart of a leader, all these certain things. And one thing stood out to me. There's a question posed in the book and, it's, and it asked this question. It says, describe to someone, basically you're meeting with, describe to them your self-talk. Describe the talk that's going on in your mind. Like when you're driving, when you're thinking, when you're meeting with someone, when something happens to you and it doesn't go your way, what are the thoughts that you're telling yourself? No one cares. No one cares. But no, one, no one like, I don't, I don't like, like, what is the thoughts that run through my mind? Is it usually negative? Why would they say this to me? Why would they do that? They must have something out for me. Or is it just like, you know, man, are you thinking the best of them? Hey, they didn't mean that. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Like, is there like that response of humility? Like, like, what is our thought life telling us in that moment? I mean, it's one of those things where I had to take inventory. Uh, here's, here's one way I want to put it, because it's true you think about this. If people want to find the bad, they will find the bad. If you want to find the good, you will find the good. Th- there's a side of this we have to acknowledge, that you can walk into this room, you can walk into any small group. You can walk into any church, and immediately, if you want to find the bad, you're going to find the bad. If you want to find the good, you're going to find the good. You can do that in a relationship, at your job, at your workplace. It kind of depends on your filter. Are you thinking the best, like, hey, listen, Christians aren't perfect, but you know what? They're pursuing Jesus, and I'm willing to work with them on this. Or is it, you know what? They're all hypocrites. I knew it. Of course, this is what I told. I've seen this in every church. Like, what is that filter in which we view that? I think this is incredibly important. So here's the idea to me. It's almost like the difference between two birds. There's a difference between a vulture and a hummingbird. And so, you think about this. Um, but what's the difference? And it's not like a sort of a joke. But what is the difference between a vulture and a hummingbird? You think about this. A vulture is looking and trying to find death and dead carcasses and just rottenness and filth. I mean, it is like looking for death so it can just eat upon that carcass, upon that death. What does a hummingbird look for? It is looking and it's trying to find sweet nectar. (laughs) And I do think this is so true. You have two birds that are looking for something, and I think this kind of applies to us as what are we looking for? 
If you want to look for death and dead carcasses and rot, you can find that. If you want to look for sweet nectar in the thing, you can find it. You see, um, I think this is important for us because what I'm talking about is just not like good ideas. This is biblical. I do want to talk about some of, it's interesting, some of the neuroscience even behind the thoughts and the thought life and neuropathways and how those are created. It's very interesting. But the Bible just talks about it much more early on in such a redemptive way. See, a good counselor will tell you this. Um, A good counselor will say, you determine the meaning of what happened to you. A good counselor will say some terrible things have happened to you. You can determine how you live that out, carry that out, how that defines you. Here's what the Bible says. Let Jesus determine what happened to you. Let Jesus define what has happened to you and me. Some things have happened to me. Some things have happened to you. Either I can try to define that and live that out and say that's who I am and that's just what I'll always be. Or I can choose to believe what Jesus says. I can choose to believe that Jesus says, no, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. If all things have passed away, all things have become new. I can choose to believe we overcome the enemy by the word of the Lamb and the blood, uh, the, the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. There's certain things I can choose to believe. There's certain things I can tell myself. See, this is so important for us, because I, I, guys, I know you know this. I kind of hinted at this. But three weeks ago, when I get that phone call, and it's like, okay, we have no location starting after June 2nd. Those anxieties, those fears, those things well up. And can I tell you, when we got together, we had a little prayer meeting, and I started hearing people pray, God, thank you for this. I'm excited to see who you're going to reach at whatever new community we go to. God, we're, we're thankful for an opportunity just to not get comfortable, to kind of be on our toes, and to still experience you in new ways working. And it's funny, I was listening to people pray, and I'm going, oh, wait, they're interpreting this from this God-like redemption. I need to interpret it that way. And it's funny how our minds can automatically go to the negative. I'm like, yes, Lord. And you start praying differently. And you start saying, God, who is it that you want to save now in that area? God, what is it you want to do within our church? Do you want to purify? God, is there some pruning you need to do? Is there some things you need to weed out? What is it you want to do? God, do it, Lord. And it's funny how some circumstance like that can happen, and, and the self-talk matters, our thought life matters, and this is what the Bible says, as a man thinketh, so is he. As, as you and I think, it defines many, so often like how we live, and how we carry that out, and what we become ultimately. So listen, number one, Christians, we do see this, control your thought life, control your thoughts. But now, number two, in a similar thought, but different, the Bible says this, uh, capture your thoughts, Capture your thoughts. It's a passage maybe you know, but it's 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll throw the verse up here so you can read it. 2 Corinthians 10, uh, verse 3. He says, listen to this, and read it as a whole. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. There's a lot there. Paul is basically saying this. The mind is a battlefield. Satan is attacking our mind. We got to understand that my mind is at, at war. Your mind is at war. Most battles are won or lost in the mind. And he's saying, listen, there is a war going on. It's not carnal. It's not physical. It's spiritual. And he says, God has given us certain uh, defense systems to cast down these arguments. These arguments we tell ourselves. The arguments the enemy might tell us. God has given us a way to take these thoughts captive and to say, I'm going to obey Christ in the moment and not give in to these thoughts. I'm going to obey what he says. I'm going to obey what he, what he says about me, about this circumstance, and I'm going to take this thought captive and surrender it to Christ. I'm going to obey Christ in the moment, and that's how we defeat through obedience, he's saying. Now, this is so good, because I do believe Satan's at t- trying to attack our hearts and minds. I mean, we've got to understand this. There is, from the very beginning, from the very beginning, it's, it's, Eve going to, it's Satan going to Eve and saying, did God really say? He's trying to sow a thought in her mind to change the destiny. Did God really say, in the day you eat this fruit, you will surely die? Maybe he knows you'll be like him. 
It is just so interesting to me how he attacks our thoughts. And you just have this thought, maybe God is withholding good. And you kind of entertain that and entertain that and entertain that. And, and I want us to see, he says, take those thoughts captive. What does Christ say about that? Obey him in that moment. Look to him in that moment. Here's a few verses that talk about our minds and thoughts. I just want to like read them quickly. Just see how our minds are under attack. Romans 1.21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their fu- foolish hearts were darkened. Uh, Romans 1.28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Our minds are definitely under attack. There's no doubt. He's like, the God of this world has blinded the minds to keep people from the gospel, the glory of Christ. I do want us to see, because how, how do we engage in battle if we don't even know we're in a battle? How do we engage in war if we don't know there's a war going on in my heart and my mind? So what do we do? How do we take captives of these thoughts? Here, here is the verse that like, I know a lot of you know, but let's just talk about for a second. It's Romans 12, 2, where Paul says, and do not be conformed to this world, but what? But be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind, he says, by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. So here's, here's a verse we quote. What does that mean? What is renewing of the mind? How does that look like? You know, it's interesting just reading about this. There's a, there's a Christian neuroscientist. Her name is Carolyn, uh, I think Carolyn Leaf. She's a Christian who studies the brain and, the, and brain pathways. I mean, she has like her background in science, but she's also a very strong believer. And she's saying it's interesting how uh, years ago, decades ago, in the 60s, 50s and 60s, kind of in the 70s, things changed. People believed that the brain was just fixed. People believed that once you kind of grew up from adolescence into young, adu- your young adults, your brain was just set in its ways. It could never change. And then they discovered something called neuroplasticity. If I said that right, I don't know. But neuroplasticity, and she's right about it, basically saying our brain is just, it's not fixed. It's moldable, it's shapeable, it can change, it can grow. And she's right about this saying, we knew this all along. God said this from the very beginning. God said, even though the science of its day said the brain when it hits a certain age is fixed and does not change, God says, no, I can renew that. I can change that. She writes about how if Christians spent 12 minutes in prayer a day for eight weeks, how literally they've seen on brain scans, the brain change. They've studied a brain. They've, Christians have prayed for 12, uh, for 12 minutes a day for eight weeks. At the end of those eight weeks, they get a brain scan again, and the brain's completely different. And it's something that we can say, okay, we know that there's, you know, there's outside for it. They might try to explain it by science, but here's what the Bible calls it. It just says renewing your mind. God's just trying to renew your mind. There's something about God. I'm going to take this thought. I'm going to give it to you. I don't want to be conformed to this world. I don't want to believe what the world is saying. I'm going to look to you and your word. What do you say about this, God? You see, we take these thoughts captive by speaking truth of the word of God into our life. And this is so important because we do believe the lies of the enemy so often, which we'll talk about a little bit more because this this haunts every one of us daily. You will walk out of here and believe certain lies. You walk out of here and you'll you'll hear and you'll tell yourself that you could never really change, that God doesn't really love you. He might love them, but not you. You will still be still tell yourself these things. We have to take that captive and say, but God, I'm going to submit it to you in your word. So Paul says, capture those thoughts. Here's another verse, real quick, throw it to you. Isaiah 55, 7. Let the wicked forsake his, forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. He goes, forsake your way, forsake your thoughts. What did David cry out in Psalm 139? Lord, search me, know me, try me, know my thoughts. I want you to know my thoughts, God. Take a thought inventory on me. Like, look at my thought life. How am I viewing you? How am I viewing myself in this moment? God, know my thoughts. God obviously does know our thoughts. Uh, last little 
thing I want to share with you guys, honestly, thinking Christ-centered has changed everything about my life. Taking thoughts captive and saying, Jesus, I'm going to give this to you, and what do you say about this, has changed my life, has changed my destiny. Saying I'm choosing not to believe certain things, I'm going to surrender that to you, changes everything. I cannot stress to you enough, the, the, the war or the battle is fought and won so often the mind. I'm going to say the Bible talks about the heart and the mind. It's like really the same thing. It's saying the heart is deceitfully, like it's talking about the heart and the mind like in unison and tandem, how they just work together. So here's what I want to look at lastly. I'm going to put this, the redundant point. Contemplate your thoughts. Contemplate your thoughts. What is Philippians 4.8? Let's look at our text. Philippians 4.8. He says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. It's almost like this plea. Stop letting your mind go into just disgusting thoughts, impure thoughts, thoughts that are not God-honoring. He goes, finally meditate on these things. Write this down for meditate. The word meditate simply means this, to think upon, to give thoughtful consideration to, to chew the cud. So meditation, I know, can be a, a word used in Eastern philosophy, and then the, the Hebrew word of meditation is a little bit different. We'll talk about that. But it literally means to give thoughtful consideration to, to chew the cud. The idea of chew the cud is a cow, chews its grass, whatever, swallows it, goes into its stomach, spits it back up, chews on that same thing again, swallows it, goes into a different stomach, stomach spits it back up, chews on it some more, swallows it, goes into a different stomach. Disgusting, but pretty cool. Uh, it does this over and over again. It's saying chew the cud. Take God's word, chew it over, swallow it, Maybe you need to spit it back up and chew on it some more. <laughs> Swallow it again. Spit it back up. Like, there's this idea of God, I, want, I always set you before me. I always set your word before me. Your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. Like, I'm always going to chew it over. I really do think that we, we underestimate the power of just hearing the word of God, reading the word of God. Something for me, just even when I drive my car and turn on sermons or worship, and it, I'm telling you, it does something, obviously. Faith comes by hearing, by hearing the word. There's something about just turning it on and saying, God's purifying my mind, my heart, the Bible says the eye is the lamp of the body. You take in good, the whole body's full of good. You take in bad, the whole body's full of bad. Do we not get this idea? Garbage in, garbage out. Jesus, it's not what goes into the man that defiles a man, but it's what comes out of a man that defiles him. So what are we putting in? What is going in? Meditate on the word of God. Chew the cud. Study scripture, spit it back up, study it some more. Swallow it. Spit it back up. I'm sorry for the graphicness of this. It is so great, though. It is so true. It is so spot on. He's saying, meditate on these things. Look at these things. Eastern philosophy says this. Meditation means you empty your mind. Hebrew philosophy says you fill your mind with the right things. See, there's a difference. One is empty your mind. Try to remove all the clutter. One is saying, fill your mind with the truth of God's word. Meditate on the things you know is true. So let's walk through this really quick. Can we just do that? There's eight things Paul mentions. Can we just walk through this? Because he says meditate on these things. So let's try to meditate on these things. Number one is this, truth. Meditate on truth. Again, I know we've kind of hinted at this, but the enemy will speak lies. In John chapter 8, verse 44, the word says, when Satan speaks, he speaks a lie, and he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Jesus goes, you want to know the father of all lies, Satan? Anything that's a partial truth Anything that is not true, it's a lie that comes from the father of lies. He's going, you need to speak truth. You need to remember truth, meditate on truth. I love how John Piper said this. He said, uh, the mind serves to know the truth that fuels the fire of the heart. The mind serves to know the truth so that my heart might be fueled. 
can we just understand, just because you grow in wisdom does not mean you have to just be like an egghead and talk about God. Like, you can actually have a passion for him. You can actually worship. What burdens me sometimes are people who know the word so well, but they just will not engage in worship. And I'm like, I, they're like, oh, this isn't my style. I'm like, just worship in any style. Wherever you go, if you go to Africa, if you go to China, wherever you go, it does not matter. Like, engage in with the people in that worship. Like, engage in the God. It's, we are worshiping in spirit and truth. It doesn't matter if it's your form or your style. My thing is, it's just you look at this and you say, I want God, my knowledge of you, to fuel my heart. Who, who you are, what your word says, let that fuel my worship, let that fuel my passion for you. He says, think on true things. Remember, Satan's the father of lies. Did God really say? Can I just throw out one lie I think um, you and I believe? I think that a lot of young people believe. One lie I really do think that we kind of fall into, is, and I see it with young people specifically, is you're missing out. I think there's this lie from the enemy that's like, hey, you're missing out. You know, by serving God, you're missing out on this relationship. You're missing out on this experience. You're missing out on this fi- these finances. You know you're missing out by giving over to God. And I really do believe this is like a lie that just creeps in our minds. And we say, are you kidding me? If I have Jesus, I have everything. If I have Jesus, then it doesn't matter. I can have, I can have the whole world and lose my soul. What's the point? And there's, there's truth of God's reef to tell ourselves you're not missing out. You're not unloved. You're not cast aside. The truth of God's word is so important that he will never leave you. Nor All of these things we do have to remind ourselves and meditate and chew the cut on that. Not just truth. Let's keep moving. He says things that are noble. Noble. What is noble? Noble means honorable, worthy, respect, dignity, sacred, and holy. Meditate on things that are holy. It's almost this, this is the idea. A person, wherever he walks, imagine a man or woman, wherever they go on earth, they view this as God's temple. So it's funny how there's this difference in the world of sacred and secular. Church is sacred. Out there is secular. Not at all. The earth is the Lord's and all that's in it. It's saying, I'm, wherever I go, God's there. My thought life, God's there. Uh, there is, I'm going to have a nobility in my, and dignity in my approach to that. It's Joseph, when the, his Potiphar's wife says, Joseph, sleep with me. No one's home, no one's around, no one will ever know, sleep with me. She grabs his garment and he just runs out butt naked. I love that story. And Joseph's like, no, no, how can I do this great sin against God? Nobility. He's like, I'm, I'm going to pursue that. Can I tell you what the idea of no- nobility for me? It's like thinking 30, 40 years down the road, by God's grace, Lord willing, if I can just sit with Kimber, think about our kids who love Jesus, our grandkids who love Jesus, who say, you know what? Success in ministry is what? I love Jesus. I love my wife. My kids love Jesus and love us. We love each other. That is success. Success is not the expansion and the growth. Success is we love Jesus with all of our heart 30, 40 years. Our kids love Jesus. And we're walking with Jesus together. And it's saying, I want to live a noble life in that way. Number three is this. He says, things that are just. Think about things that are just. Micah 6, 8. You know this verse? Maybe, maybe not. I'll read it to you. Micah 6, 8 says, he has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. What does God want? To do justly. There's so many injustices that we see that break our heart, that frustrate us, that make us angry. Why? Because God is just, and as image bearers of God, we crave justice. That's why we see something unjust. We go, something needs to be fixed about that. We talk about this with the leaders. Like, we crave justice for, for others, but we crave grace for ourselves. It's like, bring them justice, God, but please show me mercy, <laughs> right? But this is, there's something about justness going, God, we want to see you right the wrongs. We want to see that person who's experienced so much pain find healing and grace in you that bring justice to that person, that situation. And, and there's sometimes we can look at all the injustices and focus on the injustices. It's weird. We have these little gadgets now in our pockets, all of us, and just notifies us of craziness around the world and just anxiety increase. Like, we have little anxiety things in our pockets. We get a notification like, oh my gosh, we're going to war tomorrow, right? Like, it's so, it's so crazy. And he's like, no, no, like, I want you to meditate on things that are, are just. I want you to think about God's justice. I want you to seek to bring justice. Number four, he says this, uh, what is pure? What is pure? 
I think there's never been a time more when we need to bring purity back to the church, to our minds, to our lives. It's sad to me when I see Christians who do live hip- 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 hypocritically, where they go, they speak against a certain sexuality, but then they're engaged in pornography. And I go, so you like your sexual sin, but don't like their sex. It's just sad to me where you kind of see, like, can, you, can we start to own ours, confess our sin? I think we begin to see a revival in the world if the revival happened with us. God, purify my mind, purify my heart. I think more than ever, it's like, God, bring purity again. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. There's something like, God, let us, let us live a pure life. Let us not be hypocritical. And we go, I can't believe they, and then yet yeah, there's impurity in us. It's like, let there be purity again. Think about things that are pure. If you're taking in bad, remember Luke 12? The eye takes in bad, the whole body's filled with bad. Men and women both struggle with this. Pornography is an epidemic haunting everyone. It seems almost everyone at some point in time struggles with this. And you sit down with them and you say, listen, meditate on new things. Take in new things. Purify your mind how with the, renewing of, with, with the word of God. Let God do something new within our church, within our lives. Amen? He says, think about things that are pure. He moves on and says that are lovely. I want to take beauty back as a Christian. Like, the idea of art and creativeness and beauty. He's like, think about things that are lovely. Why is that? I love this verse in Psalm 27. It says, one thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. The, the desire of David in Psalm 27 is like, I just want to enjoy the beauty of God. God is beautiful, his character, his person, his essence. I want to enjoy the beauty of the Lord. Church, I would say, like, let's, en- let's not just seek God for what we can get. Let's just seek God. Let's just enjoy the beauty of God, enjoy his presence. He goes, and uh, things that are lovely. Number six, good report, or you could say uh, just that the idea of, I want to actually, there's so many bad reports out there. There's so many negative things. I want to think of things that have a good report. We'll keep going. Number seven, virtue, or he says excellence or moral excellence. I want to think about characteristics that are going to be beneficial, not the negative ones. Number eight, praiseworthy. Things that are worthy of praise. And here's this idea that we could go through all this one by one, but here's this idea. He's saying the outlook of what we meditate on determines our outcome. Warren Wiersbe said it that way. I thought it was so profound. He says, outlook determines outcome. If you're meditating on these things, this will be your outcome. You'll start to see these things reproduced in your life. If your outlook is the opposite of these things, you'll see the opposite. You'll see those things in your life. I really want us to change what we're meditating on thinking about. So here's, here's the summary of this. Look at the opposite of these things. What is opposite of truth lies? Opposite of nobility, you could say dishonor. Opposite of justice, injustice. Like we can say, is your mind meditating on these things or, or the things that the Bible is describing? And, and here's just my last thought. If you read this, you guys, can we just be honest? When you read this list, what is it describing? Who is it describing? I mean, it's describing Jesus beautifully. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Think of me. I'm truth. You want to think about nobility? You want to think about justice? You want to think about lovely, pure, praiseworthy, good report, virtuous? I mean, it's literally describing Jesus saying, meditate on Jesus. When our mind begins to wander, say, Jesus, let me, t- let me take those caps thoughts and bring you in. Let me think about you in this moment, this time. Think on Jesus. Church, I don't think, there's, I don't think we can think on Jesus enough. I think communion, which we're going to have today, is a time for us to think on Jesus, to remember Jesus, to look to Jesus. Lovely, good report, virtuous. Those are the things he says to think on. And we'll close with verse 9 because Paul does this a lot in Philippians. Look at verse 9. Paul simply says, The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw, those four things, you saw these things in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. 
Paul again in this letter says, emulate, emulate me, emulate other leaders who do these things, the things you've learned, seen, heard, all those things do. And I love this ending. He says, and the God of peace will be with you. Last week, what did we talk about? If you're anxious for nothing and pray, you will have the peace of God. Paul then, two verses later, says, no, it's better than the peace of God, the God of peace. Not just you can have the peace of God, but you can have the source of all that peace. Sometimes we want peace, but I want the source and the giver of all peace. You get it? The giver of all peace. He says, you can have, and the God of peace will be with you. Meditate on these things. So here's, let me explain this really quick. We're going to close our time, and we're going to meditate on Jesus. Jesus said, when he was passing out, you could say the first communion, he was saying, do this in remembrance of me. And so here's what we do. We're going to pass out a little cup. We're going to pass out a little cracker. And we say, Jesus, we thank you for this. This cracker represents your body that was broken for us, your body that was pierced for us. This, this cup with this juice represents your blood that was shed for the forgiveness of my sins. Thank you, Jesus. If you do not believe in Jesus, there's no need to take communion because why remember something you don't believe in? Actually, the Bible says if you take communion and you do it in, in an unjust way, you actually eat and drink judgment on yourself. The idea is this. Don't, don't take communion unless you love Jesus, believe in Jesus. Don't take communion unless you remember him because you're remembering him for your Savior. You're trusting him. You're looking to him. I hope this can be a time for us as a church where we can just slow down a little bit. I'm going to ask you guys, as you hold that cup and that cracker, read Philippians 4, 8 again, and just think about how the loveliness, the purity, think of how the virtue speaks of Jesus. As you hold the cracker and as you hold the cup, remember Jesus. Walk through this list. Say, thank you, Jesus, for being lovely when nothing else is. Thank you for being pure when it seems like there's so, many, so much impurity. Like, let's remember Jesus. Can we do that? Amen? Can we do that? We're going to remember Jesus, so let's pray. We're going to close with some worship up here. We're going to pass out communion. When you are ready, eat and drink. If you do not, again, believe in Jesus, no need to take it. But if Jesus is your Lord, your Savior, feel free, take it and enjoy him. Remember him. Let's do that now. Father, we just um, thank you. We thank you for the truth. We thank you for your Son, who is truth. God, when there's so many lies we tell ourselves or the enemy tells us, God, we thank you that your word just is truth. God, I just ask for everyone in this room that, uh, God, you would purify our minds, renew our minds. God, the negativity, the false uh, things we tell ourselves, God, remove that. Jesus, let people here know that they are loved. Let them know that, God, they are yours. I just ask that you would uh, renew our mind as you meditate on your truth, Jesus. So we thank you. We look to you now in your wonderful name. Amen. We're going to pass out communion. Take, take when you're ready.